Hey guys, Abel here with the Sustainable Self-Development Podcast again, and welcome to this amazing part two of my interview with Dr. Mike Isratel, where we will talk about all kinds of good stuff related to healthy eating. In the previous episode, we started off strong, talking about how to find credible people in the fitness industry. We did a quick overview of the most important concepts of healthy eating, such as keeping a healthy body weight and the appropriate calorie balance, and also why eating whole foods is important. And in this episode, we will talk about macronutrient balance, hydration, and supplementation. So we will get into the nitty-gritty and also discuss whether for health, nutrition, exercise, or stress and sleep management are the most important factors. So this will be an awesome second part, and I hope you'll enjoy it. And now that you know what to expect from Dr. Mike, which is always top quality information, um, I don't need to overhype this episode anymore. So without further ado, let's bring on Dr. Mike Isratel. Food composition, uh, why is it important in a general sense to eat lots of whole foods and not that much processed foods? So it's not the processing that's the problem. It's the, what the processing is removing usually and, and sometimes what it's adding that's the problem. So processed foods like casein protein and whey protein are actually very healthy because the processing doesn't remove anything that's super good for your health and it keeps the most of the stuff in. Uh, so uh, it's better to look at it as, you know, what is the processing removing? And, and here's why whole foods are generally pretty good, especially carbohydrates that are unprocessed tend to have in their natural state high levels of vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, and fiber. All of those have very distinct, some of them quite powerful health-improving effects. When you compare a uh, scoop of sugar or Gatorade or a honey bun or something to an apple or some brown rice um, or some broccoli, the big difference is that they do not have those processed carbohydrates as much or any vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, and fiber. That's what makes whole grains, fruits, and veggies super duper healthy. And when you eat them, you get that stuff, you're off to your good health. Now, a really big deal here is to say that it's most of your diet can come from those. And then if you eat some other sugary foods or processed foods, that's not a big deal as long as you get most of your food and get enough vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, fiber. Um, from those whole grains. So some, something like I would say 70-30 ratio is a really good place to start for most people. will give you just about as much health as is worth having. Um, you don't have to eliminate all sugar or something like that from your foods, uh, all like processed stuff, as long as you're not relying on most of it for your calorie needs and, and getting into areas where you're not getting enough of all those good things. Right, right. Excellent. That totally clears it up. And uh, so it, it, it is both uh, the lack of nutrients in more like some processed foods and, and also the adding of uh, certain, I don't know, chemicals that are not present in whole foods. Sure, which is, which is actually quite rare, but, but it does tend to happen in the, for example, one category is, uh, you know, proteins in meats that are processed. So, for example, cured meats like bacon, sausage, etc. They're often uh, processed in such a way uh, that they include other chemicals, which are particularly great, uh, like nitrates, for example. And uh, they might actually be a little bad for your health uh, in the long term, especially if you eat a lot of them. And uh, unprocessed meats, like just regular lean meats, don't usually have a lot of that stuff in there or none. And they tend to be a little bit healthier. So sometimes those additives are a problem. Usually most food additives are quite safe. And that's one of the big myths is, you know, food additives are a really big problem. 
usually not. Uh, but you know, if you want really the optimum amount of health, resisting highly processed meats for that reason is probably a good place to start. So let's let's dive into a little bit in the some of the hot topics that I'm obviously addressed this a number of times, but you addressed the saturated fats for one thing. So what's the general verdict on saturated fats? They're fine in moderation, but if you consume them excessively, even in a calorie-controlled diet, you're going to pay in cardiovascular disease risk. Most of the reviews of the literature, last I looked, there were about 15 reviews of the literature, and probably about 10 say that saturated fat is associated with increases in cardiovascular disease. It just is. Um, monounsaturated especially, and to some smaller extent, that is better to consume as the majority of your fat intake. So what does that mean in real-life terms? You got, uh, let's say, 100 grams of fat to eat per day. You know, if you eat a couple whole eggs and some pieces of bacon every day, you're good to go. There's nothing to worry about as long as most of your fats come from olive oils, nut butters, avocados, things like that, monounsaturated heavy and polyunsaturated heavy sources. However, you have this idea that you can eat like multiple meals of bacon, whole eggs, and cheeses, and just big fatty steaks all the time and eat a ton of saturated fat and eat very little of the other kinds of fats. If your calories are controlled, the difference is going to be very small, but noticeable in large cohort studies. So if you want the optimum health, you should probably, you can totally eat saturated fats, but you just can't make them an elixir that you consume at every single meal as the primary source of fat. And that it comes up every now in a conversation and people say, now hold on, that sounds ridiculous. So who, who the hell does that? And the answer is like, yeah, you're totally right. Like very few people do that. And it's totally true. Very few people do. Um, However, every now and again, you get a fad that lets people do that, and they feel they do sort of do these insane uh, diets, which do bias into really insane directions you would never think. So, for example, coconut oil or coconut butter is primarily saturated fat, which has been demonstrated to be actually negatively influencing cardiovascular health, as predicted, as it is a saturated fat. And people thought or still think to a large extent that coconut oil is like this health elixir that can be added to anything, cooked with anything, and it makes everything better. So there are actually people consuming inordinate amounts of coconut oil thinking that there's the more you take in, the better it is. And that's actually just completely reverse of the truth. So it turns out, can you have coconut oil? Yeah, totally. Every now and again, a little bit here and there. But as the main source of fat in your diet, really, really bad idea. If you had to pick an oil, which consume of a lot of, olive oil is a really good place to start. Why? I mean, if I had to list to you all the studies that confirmed olive oil's you know, health benefits, I mean, we'd be here for five more hours. Uh, the, the literature is crystal clear. Olive oil is basically a health elixir. There's, I don't think there's a part of your metabolism that doesn't help. And, and, and consuming excess olive oil has never been demonstrated. I mean, there's no one that's ever had too much. There's, there's no such thing. <laughs> as, I mean, if, if your calories are unchecked, you know, the Mediterranean cultures, for example, the Italians, people from Cyprus, Turkey, et cetera, they consume just unbelievable amounts of, of olive oil. They just don't even get heart attacks anymore. And they like smoke cigarettes all day long, too. It's just baffling. So, uh, you know, if you want a healthy fat, I mean, that is a good contender. Uh, you know, coconut oil, really, really bad idea. And, and you would think, well, no one's ever going to eat that much saturated fat. Well, coconut oil has allowed them to do so. So before you go on and say, oh, saturated fat is just fine, in moderation, it totally is. But in excess, it's not. So when someone says, hey, you know, you eat a lot of coconut oil, your answer should be, no, that's probably not a good idea. But every now and again, it's okay. It totally makes sense what you just said. 
And the only thing I'm, I'm wondering, it actually just came to mind, is how much do you think that the research showing that saturated fat in excess is not a good idea, how much do you think that research is confounded by the general population in which that occurs? So because, you know, generally that accompanies other not so good kind of lifestyle you know, habits and, and other food choices that are not very conducive to good health. For sure, you know, most of the best studies and the most of the best uh, literature reviews, they've statistically removed the effects of those other variables, and you still see a small but significant meaningful effect of excessive saturated fat consumption. Um, so saturated fat consumption as by itself is a health negative. Now, uh, in excess, uh, here's, you know, a way to put it in perspective. If you weigh, if you're, you know, I don't know, meter 80, and, and you weigh, you know, 70 kilos, and you're very lean, super active, you eat mostly healthy foods, but you eat a ton of saturated fats within that context, you might take six months off your life at the end of your life by eating so many saturated fats. So you may have lived to 70, you may have lived to 80 years old, an ideal circumstance if you had watched your fats, but now you live to 79 and a half. I mean, like, who the fuck's counting at that point, right? Like... <laughs> Minor, minor. Now, if you were 130 kilos and inactive, you'd live to 60 years old, <laughs> right? Really big difference. So it's a very small difference here that we're talking about as long as you're healthy and well and active. So when paleo people, you know, CrossFitters, when they eat um, huge amounts of saturated fat and they're in unbelievable shape, you're not too worried about those people. However, when someone's eating a really shit diet and they're eating a lot of saturated fats in addition to that and they're out of shape and they're saying, oh, it's a myth that saturated fats are bad for you, they're going to pay for that. They're going to pay for that for sure. So uh, it's better to know all of that stuff so that you don't make these really ridiculous mistakes uh, rather than just go out of ignorance and say saturated fat's not that big of a deal. You know, um, I'm always of the opinion that it's good to give people all of the information on what affects their health. And if they choose to ignore some of the little minor stuff, great, but it's good to know. So I'm not going to ever say that all oh, saturated fats just aren't bad for you at all, unless that's what the literature ends up revealing, which is unlikely um, at this point, because there's so much literature on it already. Uh, you know, I'm never going to say it, it doesn't matter. I'll just say, you know, it doesn't matter that much, but if you're really interested in perfecting your health, it does matter. And, and, and just to end on a kind of a little bit of a sentimental note, you know, we got grandchildren running around and you want to see them from age three to age four. All of a sudden you look back at all that bacon and shit you ate and you're like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe six months is really valuable, you know, to a person on their deathbed, six minutes they would give all of their money for. So is it good to know maybe that there's a trade-off? Totally. Now, do you want to make it? Maybe not because someone could be on their deathbed and be like, okay, if you never ate bacon, you'd be another year of life. They'd be like, yeah, but it's a year I would use eating bacon anyway. I fucking lived a good life. I love bacon. I love saturated fats. It's awesome. I love cheeseburgers and peace. I'm out. See you in the next world. Um, that's totally cool. As long as they know what they're doing, that, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I guess also on a evolutionary uh, medicine kind of framework, uh, because many of many times the argument is that well, it doesn't make logically any sense that some substance that had been present all throughout human evolution could be harmful. But what that argument doesn't account for is that it hasn't been available throughout evolution in unlimited amounts, which is what we're talking about here. So 
Oh, oh boy, that argument doesn't account for all kinds of stuff other than that. You're completely correct in that it doesn't account for unlimited amounts. What also doesn't account for is that considering that longevity is even a very high selective pressure in our evolutionary environment. When the average age of death was 30, can we really think that something that kills you when you're 65 would even be selected against? Do you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, you know, that's that's a crazy thought. You know, uh, there's a variety of things about our bodies that are not designed for longevity at all. The very things. So, for example, a high intake of calories, a high intake of saturated fats makes you resistant to disease. It makes you bigger. It makes you stronger. It makes you more energetic. It makes you be able to hurt people better and have sex with people better and survive up until age 30, you know, when you're the alpha male and you stabbed everyone else in the face and you've gotten laid a ton, you've left a ton of ancestors as progeny. And then finally you break your toe on accident and someone sneaks up on you and guts you like a fish because they want all your women. That's what evolutionary ancestral environment looks like. Cheeseburgers are an enhancer in that environment. The more of you can have, the better because there's very huge, huge shortage of calories and Saturated fats are huge in brain development and in hormones and everything that you need. So they're good for you in that environment. We did not involve in an environment of some kind of weird agrarian culture where we all rode bicycles and there were solar panels everywhere and we lived to 100. <laughs> I don't, that, yeah. just wasn't a, that wasn't a thing. So you know, if, if something like a cheeseburger could make you a baller until you were 35 and then after age 50, it started to exact some health effects, that would be hugely selected for – during our ancestral environment because no, almost no one made it to age 60. You know what I mean? So, so the idea that we evolved for health in the long term is already flawed. And it's not just um, unsupported. It's actually backwards supported, right? We, we know for a fact that much of human evolution uh, was designed for age under 30, under 35. And after that, your body kind of just like, meh. There's not much purpose for anything that happens because you probably should be dead, <laughs> right? So when they say like, oh, you know, Alzheimer's, like, you know, how come that error occurs where Alzheimer's occurs? Well, you know, Alzheimer's usually doesn't develop until your 60s. Uh, so the number of people in our ancestral environment that actually lived long enough to have Alzheimer's is so small that it's kind of irrelevant for evolution. You know what I mean? Like, how come there's no evolutionary mechanism against Alzheimer's? Because you already accomplished everything that's evolutionary relevant. By the time you're 60, you're probably dead, right? Only now are we seeing the people living past 60, and Alzheimer's is probably an example of just the brain not being designed to be that old. That's it, you know? So, and there's a bunch of other stuff like that. So now that we are in that environment, we can't really look to evolution to answer questions about what we should be eating. We should look to direct scientific evidence to look what you'd be eating. Does that make sense? So we should say, okay, given what we know about human condition now, what foods eaten now are going to give us the results we want now? And people say, but in ancestral times, well, that's not ancestral times. The goal isn't to be a warlike monster or a super reproducing machine up until age 35 and then get killed by somebody or have a toothache that turns into a, an infection that kills you within three days, right? That's ancestral environment, not very instructive for the modern world as far as longevity for sure is concerned and, and pretty much as far as health is concerned either. Yeah, man, that, that's a brilliant point, because usually the, the argument is that you look at the paleo framework uh, because that's what we did in, all throughout evolution, and we should abandon all the modern stuff. But basically, the whole concept of living very long is already a modern construct. So <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That is exactly true. And, and it also, uh, 
there's some fallacious reasoning in this, a little bit of the naturalistic fallacy, a little bit of what's, what's called the uh, in sociology, the noble savage myth, that, you know, back in the day, things were good. The Paleolithic sucked. It sucked in almost every conceivable way. People were worse off in almost every single measurable way. And the reason they weren't worse off was because of really nasty other things. Why were there almost no fat people back then? Because they were fucking starving all the damn time. You don't, there's no fat people in Africa either, but you don't exactly try to move there to like be like, yeah, this is a great life. It sucks that people are trying to leave, right? So it's one of the situations where, you know, the sort of mystification, idealization of ancestral times is just radically off base to begin with. Um, almost everything about the modern world is better, and we had we had better understand what kind of dietary practices are more conducive to health. Some of them will, for some reason or another, correlate to ancestral practices, but some of them won't. Um, and it's funny because if you actually ask cavemen what they want, if you gave cavemen a sample of foods, they would only pick fast food. Fast food is universally accepted as the best possible food. Why? Because it has the most saturated fats, the most sugars, the most calorie density, because that's what was most lacking in our Paleolithic environment. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's what people wanted the most because it was damn near not around. As Paleolithic, as, as you know, we had Paleolithic ancestors, most of our brain still functions like that. That's one of the big reasons why we're so fat. And so, so uh, because we're so lazy, because movement isn't something you want to do. Ancestral humans aren't naturally hard workers. You would die if you were naturally hard worker because you would expend so much energy doing pointless activities. Um, supposed to just want to eat junk food as much of it as possible because it brings as many calories as, as, as you can stuff in because you know starvation is so so uh, kind of uh, always around and then the other thing is you want to be as lazy as possible because only when you need to move to survive should you be moving otherwise you should be conserving calories um, so the, the real paleo individuals they would be the fattest, laziest one of all of us. <laughs> so, you know, modernity brings with it its own challenges, but also very good things. It's best to evaluate it on a current scientific level of what is it about our bodies that's a good idea for us to eat? How should we be physically active? Let's just stick to that. And whatever happened in the past, very, very different conditions and not optimized for our health and wellness back then. Awesome. Fantastic. Brilliant. And so speaking of what people should be eating, um, now we arrive to, I mean, there would be more to talk about on, on food composition, but let's talk about macronutrients because that's a little bit of a simpler question for, for health than body composition. So what's the general verdict here? As long as you get a minimum amount of fats for survival, a minimum amount of proteins for survival and for maintenance of muscularity and body function, and a minimum amount of carbohydrates to mostly to bring in uh, vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, and fiber, but in addition to bring in uh, some level of blood glucose that is higher than just bare necessity and make you better at work and at life and give you more energy to be physically active, the amount of protein, carbs, and fats to fill those roles is very small. And, uh, you know, it's something like 03 uh, times your body mass in, uh, in kilos or something like that. So, um, uh, or sorry, in pounds, so 0.6 times kilos. So, you know, so if you're, if you weigh a hundred kilos, uh, you need roughly 60 grams of fat. Uh, you need roughly 60 grams of protein, believe it or not. Uh, and, and, and roughly 60 grams of carbohydrates. Uh, that's a little bit more of a fungible figure. Um, and then wherever else the rest of your calories come from is a largely irrelevant for health. 
the best way I can state that. So if someone says, so, so for example, for every single example of people pushing one, micronut one macronutrient over the other and saying, this is the bad one, or saying, this is the really good one, we have massive counterexamples that are so easy to come up with. I, I, it still baffles me that people continue to grind these gears. Really quick example. Right from our fitness industry, a lot of people in the fitness industry will say, you know what protein really is? the macro you got to eat a shitload of it all the time it's great the cool thing is they're right protein is amazing and if you eat a lot of it you get some really cool advantages and there's no such thing as toxicity from too much protein if you have healthy kidneys so it's never going to be bad for you but do you have to eat a ton of protein to be as healthy as you can it, well if that was the case explain vegans there's a ton of vegans and vegetarians which have protein intakes at that low end 60 grams per 100 kilos right they eat almost no protein at all, just the bare minimum to survive. I, vegans outlive everybody. Yeah. <laughs> the rates of disease are tiny. Uh, so if you're really serious about the claim that we need a lot of protein to be our optimum health, and you have a really giant cohort of people that are just going to baffle you. Uh, so obviously, this is not true. Uh, people who advocate super high fat diets and say carbohydrates are really, really bad for your health. Some vegan populations eat 80% of their calories as carbs. Fuck. Some of that's half sugar. Fuck. You yeah. would think with a lot of the low-carb zealots, the way they talk, you'd think all those people would just be dead bodies, but they outlive everybody. Right? And then, so the vegans get really, really high horse, right? They go, see, 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 we're right. And the truth is they were right, but not exclusively right, just inclusively right. So they say, see, protein is really bad for you. We eat very little of it. Then you look at fitness industry people. Uh, you know, to keep things simple, drug-free fitness industry people, you know, some of the drugs are really bad for you, stuff like that. So natural physique and bodybuilder athletes uh, who eat a diet of super high protein, moderate carbs, and pretty low fats, they live just as long and just as healthy as the vegans. So when the vegans say, you know, protein's a killer, uh, how the hell are natural bodybuilders eating all this protein and they're in unbelievably great health? So that's bullshit. Protein's not bad for you in, in really high amounts. And then you have people, you know, who say, you know, both vegans and, uh, you know, natural bodybuilders can say, okay, we'll just drop the protein thing. Carbs are good, but we know fats, fats are killers, too many fats. High fat diets that are calorie controlled, especially if those fats come from healthy sources, there is individuals, especially in Mediterranean cultures that outlive everyone except for vegans and natural bodybuilders. They're tied for first place as far as health and longevity, and they eat unbelievable quantities of fat all the time. The only thing is they keep the calories, calories controlled. They eat mostly whole foods or healthy foods and, and they, uh, they stay at a healthy body weight and they're relatively physically active. So when we look at all these groups of people, and of course you can go directly to the actual research, it is simply not true to say that one of the macronutrients is like poisonous and the other ones are great or any vice versa, that as long as you meet the minimums of the three and the carbs is much more fungible, you can get away with eating actually very few carbs, even lower. As long as you supplement properly with vitamins and minerals, you could have almost perfect health, uh, that as, as, as much health as you're capable of by having very extreme uh, consumptions or even very average consumptions of the macronutrients. So anytime someone either tells you a macronutrient is amazing or a macronutrient or, or you can say amazing and that's fine um, they can say oh it's absolutely necessary to have a ton of this macro or they say you know this particular macro is super bad for you and the less you have it the better they're on very very fragile footing with diet and health and they're almost certainly making claims that are just wrong yeah no it's uh for one thing it's it for me as kind of a recreational bodybuilder for me it's been really challenging to kind of accept this notion that 
I mean, vegetarians who sometimes I just do the math and like an 80 kilo guy will eat like 40 grams of protein or something. And they are, yeah, they're almost obscenely healthy. It's almost annoying. Yeah, <laughs> for sure so if you wanted to be like oh no you got to eat protein you would have to cut yourself off and be like holy shit i'm wrong uh that you don't have to eat protein uh, in in really large quantities to, to have your best health and that's cool now now here's the thing we don't want to conflate health with being jacked you know if that's same and, and sometimes vegans make this overreach where they'll say you don't need a lot of protein to be healthy and and you know a lot of the people are like oh yeah that's true and they'll say you don't need a lot of protein to be jacked like uh uh Hold on, vegans, yeah. <laughs> right? And you know, when you think of a, a group of people as you know, think of vegans, you think, oh wow, you know, they are very healthy. Um, they're not like sickly dying individuals. But if you think of vegans, you don't exactly think of jacked people, and, and that's true. Because very few vegans are jacked. <laughs> so if you're starting to get into body composition discussions, then yeah, more protein is absolutely a requirement. It is a necessity to have high levels of protein. Um, but that's a different thing than health, and a lot of people really kind of forget that. So you know. The cool thing about this revelation, and this is like a, almost kind of a wonderful serendipitous conclusion of the book in this realm, we don't need to cut out entire nutrients to be healthy. And so many different diet approaches can work for health. So when people ask me, you know, is paleo good for health? They say, mm-hmm. Look, what about being vegan? Mm-hmm. What about high carb, high protein, low fat, like bodybuilder stuff? Mm-hmm. And they go, what? Like, yeah, that's all great. As long as you get your calories right and your physical activity is high and you're eating mostly healthy foods, you're good to go. And there's a huge variety of ways that you can eat. Uh, the problem comes up with one, some of those groups of people who really think that their way is just number one and everything else totally sucks. And then they have this, or for lack of a better term, I would call completely meaningless fights <laughs> uh, yeah. about this kind of stuff. And almost every article you ever see, you know, sugar is bad or protein is bad or fats are bad. And the hilarious thing about this is that there, I don't think, has been a food group exempted from being bad. Like, there is no food group in which you can't search it on the internet and find articles talking about how it is the one thing that is the downfall of Western society. Aliens, nope. Giant meteor, nope. Infighting, destruction of democracy, no, no, no. Sugar, wait, no, no, grains. Hold on, saturated fats, ooh, I'm just kidding. Polyunsaturated fats, they're the worst protein it's killing our kidneys we're all gonna die literally no fructose right you think fuck that shit isn't fruits like fruits and vegetables i thought everyone was cool with that nope that shit is really bad um i i won't hold my breath but it's probably coming in the next five years or so there's going to be some some somebody that says you know fiber is really got you know it's going to be one article on eating too much fiber one sort of study and they're going to be like you know with five too much fiber americans are eating too much fiber and that's killing us all oh there's totally out there already so there you go so <laughs> so it's, it's one of the situations where it's like you can't you can't win if you're looking for demonization of a nutrient you will find it and the answer luckily is all of that demonization is completely false so we can really simplify our, our stuff so you know to leave kind of the viewers of this video with some really easy take-home tips listen if you want to be healthy be at a healthy weight watch your calories okay if you're at a healthy weight and you're physically active Make sure most of your food is healthy food, and it doesn't take a fucking rocket scientist to figure out what that is. Lean meats, right? Uh, fruits, veggies, whole grains for your carbs predominantly, and healthy fats like monounsaturated fats, nuts, uh, olive oil, nut butters, canola oil, that sort of thing, avocado. Most of your food is like that. You're the good stuff everyone knows. You know, like see a really beautiful plate with like you know a thing of salmon, some brown rice, vegetable medley, and a couple pieces of fruit. Like no one's gonna fucking say that's bad for your health. Well, insane people would, but like you know the kind of stuff that we all know is pretty good for health. Most of your meals look like that. When you're at a healthy weight, you have done 
pretty much like 80% of what you're ever going to do for your health and all the other stuff is really small details. And, and if someone says, you know, vehemently, you got to drop your carbs, you got to drop your fats, you got to drop your proteins, they're almost certainly more off track than they are on track. Right. Yeah, actually, I'm glad you brought this up because I totally forgot to ask this, but I, I forgot if this was addressed in your book, but <clears throat> have you uh, gotten to some conclusion on how much fruit consumption is too much because of the fructose content? I mean, again, vegans are a real big problem for us. Damn vegans. You know, that's really the problem. <laughs> Forget everything I said. Vegans are the problem. <laughs> just kidding. Vegans, I'm just joking. Please don't kill me in my sleep. So um, we'll consume levels. You know, so, so this is the hilarious thing, right? You get an article that says fructose is killing us all. And, and then and you're like, oh, no, yeah, it's really bad. You know, you think of people drinking a bunch of Coca-Cola and French fries and high fructose corn syrup and you go, fuck, fuck, that's got to be the fructose. And then you look at vegans and vegetarians. Oh, my God, these people are consuming so much fructose every day. They fuck. And, and then people say, you know, high glycemic index food is bad, which they have a very, very tiny point, not much of a point at all. And then you go, yeah, like fructose. Wait, shit, fructose have a glycemic index of like 30. I mean, fuck, it's one of the lowest glycemic index carbohydrates you can have and so so the answer is to how much fructose is too much for health uh I, i'll put this out there uh if there is a doctor a medical doctor that has ever sat a patient down in a chair and said listen bob sit down i know you're getting older and your wife betsy she's told me she's worried about your health and he's like no nah, i know i know and doctor goes no listen you're eating too many damn fruits and vegetables and you need to stop <laughs> Fucking kidding? That's never fucking happened in history. I sure hope it's never happened unless the doctor's like a fucking paleo shale or something, right? That's insane. So is there a top-end limit to fructose? If your calories are in order and you're getting a minimum amount of protein and fat, my answer as a professional or as an expert is no. <laughs> Not in any realistic concern. Now, because there are like a balance of fructose glucose you could have maybe, how much does that affect for health? Right? But, you know, is there really someone out there that's eating a ton of fruits and veggies and their fructose levels are high and they're just dying of poor health? Fuck no. But when you talk about people, you see people that are, okay, you, you know, you look at them, you say, well, this is high fructose. Look at these Americans, right? These fat Americans with their huge American butts and guts and their high fructose corn syrup and, and fructose. And you go, but what else are they doing? Oh, yeah, they're completely inactive. Their calories are way higher than they should be, which is why they're super overweight. And they eat a ton of junk food. Man, maybe that's the problem before we start taking fructose out and shooting it behind the garage, right? And when you look at vegans, they're not fat for the most part. They're not underactive because a lot of them are physically active. They eat mostly healthy foods and very little junk. But the only thing left, so now we have the commonality. Everything's gone from the other example except for fructose in both groups. And vegans are as healthy as could be. Have we refuted that fructose is bad for your health? Not in a scientific sense. There's other studies that do that. But have we seriously laid doubt that fructose is this enemy? Yeah, totally, right? Like if you yeah. can honestly look at vegans and their consumption of vegetarians versus Americans, and after parsing all of that out, you honestly think it's the fructose? Mm. I don't know, man. I just don't think you're being honest with yourself. Yeah, yeah. And, and to just put to put it into perspective for people, like what kind of diets exist out there, the creator of the Bulletproof diet, you know, Bulletproof coffee, all that kind of stuff, that guy has a video on YouTube where he literally <clears throat> looks into the camera and says, fruit will make you fat. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, like 
just you walk into a store, right? Um, and you see like a fat person or a couple of them and you're like, fucking food eaters. <laughs> I, I bet they're having, I bet you, I bet you if I go in their car, they're going to have like, you know, apple cores and carrots and fucking guava juice. Like what? No, <laughs> that's insane. Right. Uh, at face value should be insane to anyone. You know, uh, I remember learning when I was a kid, my dad told me the shit. Fruits, uh, vegetables, nuts are healthy, no matter what anyone says. And I don't know, I was fucking like five. So I was like, okay, uh, as I have been reading and learning a lot and teaching, uh, that still hasn't been proven wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, any, so anytime someone says like, oh, I heard nuts are bad for your health, or I heard too many vegetables, or I heard fruits, you're like, really? Of all the shit, you pick that, right? So when someone says, I heard junk food's bad for your health, like, man, I have a lot more time for hearing them out than I have for some ridiculous thing like, you know, too many fruits. I mean, fuck. That just baffles me that, you know, that, what's that guy's name? Dave Asprey or something like that? Hey, exactly. Yeah insert unpleasant thing about him here i mean <laughs> you know he's got a lot of money because he's ripped a bunch of people off i don't know if he believes the shit he says uh, if he does believe it then at least then at least he's incredibly naive and uneducated and not filthy if he doesn't believe what he says it's essentially a fucking criminal like a fraud um but uh the shit he says is just is, is just like fucking nonsense pretty much like the bulletproof coffee thing it was based on the idea that if you you know so you don't want to so your cortisol high in the morning right so you don't want to consume carbohydrates right is that that whole thing um yeah. funny fact about carbohydrates as soon as you consume them carbohydrate ingestion literally lowers your cortisol yeah, yeah i've heard this yeah yeah, I mean, so, so the idea that you can have high cortisol levels and high carbohydrate levels in your blood at the same time is only possible if you're under an unbelievable amount of stress, which we already know is bad for you anyway. So, like, if you have a cup of orange juice in the morning and you're like, oh, it's going to be a great day and fucking Godzilla comes out of the woodwork and breaks the building next to your office building, you're like, fuck, okay, now you have high cortisol and a lot of carbs. It's bad for your health for Godzilla to be attacking all the time. But I think we already knew that, right? But if you're in a calm work environment in front of your computer and you have some orange juice or something in the morning and you have a, some egg whites or something like that, you have a high level of carbohydrates in your blood, your cortisol drops. It does that reliably. As a matter of fact, bodybuilders for years, supported by science, have been consuming carbohydrate shake very quickly after their workout to drop the cortisol. Like that's that's that reliable, right? So then this guy comes in and says, well, you know, you shouldn't have carbs when you have high cortisol. One cancels out the other. Uh, I remember, I remember um, Nowadays, you know, some things catch me off guard. And that was one of them when someone's like, I was like, so what's with this bulletproof coffee thing? This was like two years ago. And someone was like, well, you know, here's the, the reasoning with the cortisol. And I was like, you do know that carbs literally lower cortisol. And this person was like, no, I had no idea. I was like, fuck, that's something you learn in exercise phys one. You can learn it in your first year of exercise physiology in the hormonal section. It's Oh, holy crap. But uh, it somehow has escaped most people, which makes sense. Most people aren't experts. But I'll tell you this. It's very, very unlikely that someone like Dave Asprey uh, or other associates of his didn't find that in a search of the evidence. If they were really looking for the truth, it's very unlikely that years of peddling this bullshit, they would have never seen that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm very skeptical that it's all due process. I'm very skeptical that it's all intellectual integrity on that side of the aisle. Uh, so that be that as me. Excellent. So um, let's let's speed things up a little bit because we've gone on forever, and I'm super excited because I love this topic: nutrient timing. What kind of application does it have for health? 
Yeah. So when I came onto the scene uh, to give my opinion on sport nutrition and body composition nutrition, I was a pretty big advocate of nutrient timing. And I still am. I think it has a very limited role in body composition, but an important one. You know, at the time that I arrived on the scene by three years ago, when I was finished with my formal education and I finally knew enough shit to say anything, um, we were at kind of at the peak of like uh, intermittent fasting, right? People would say, you know, for body composition, it doesn't matter when you eat, which is pure bullshit, right? Um, So nowadays, all the, you know, there's been a couple literature review since then and all the experts have kind of been like yeah timing matters and it's a small fraction but it definitely you can't just say that you just eat whatever however many meals you want it definitely matters you know for body composition you should eat multiple probably four to six meals a day evenly spaced with even amounts of protein and probably time your carbs to your workout keep your fats a little bit away from the workout and it's pretty much consensus at this point small effect but noticeable for health the number of things we've claims we've heard about timing and health it has been like innumerable, right? So there's like, you know, people, what is it? Like, so we got, okay, don't eat carbs in the morning because that's bad. But that's yeah. actually new. Uh, mostly it's been don't eat carbs at night because they're really bad, yeah. right? I mean, eating carbs in the middle of the day, I mean, you might as well just be a terrible person. I don't even know. I'm sure someone <laughs> said, middle of the day, don't have carbs, right? So, um, and then we have a lot of claims on timing with regards to meals. A super common one is, you know, six or eight or 12 or whatever small meals throughout the day. That's how you support metabolic health and keep your metabolism buzzing along. Um, for diet and health, nutrient timing is an incredibly small proportion uh, of the variance, probably something like 5% of all variances explained in health by nutrient timing. What that means is, how do we arrive at that conclusion? We look at all the literature on timing and we see some really interesting things. Some individuals in some studies, when they're eating six to 10 meals a day, they're very healthy. And you're like, fuck, there it is. Got to eat six meals. There are other studies which have looked at daily alternating fasting protocols, which means literally Monday you eat, Tuesday you do not. Wednesday you eat, Thursday you do not. And so on and so forth. You're like, oh my God, oh my God, this is terrible. Great health outcomes. Mm-hmm. What? Like, yeah, there are some actually distinct health outcomes from that approach that are a little bit worse than frequent feeding, but other health outcomes, for example, gut health, that are actually better. So a little bit of, um, uh, I don't say starvation, but a little bit of a hyponutrient environment seems to be pretty good for gut health every now and again, which is really, really interesting, right? So interesting. Uh, on the net balance, meal frequency seems to matter almost not at all for health. Now, for optimum health, you want to be able to support a good level of physical activity and a good level of muscle mass because muscle mass is independently healthy for you, especially if you're older, for movement and for strength, and it supports physical activity as well, and it's very good for your metabolism. So we do have to – that's why there is a 5% there. It's not completely meaningless to have the best muscle mass and to have enough energy to undergo daily physical activities and have a high level of physical activity, eating every – Three to six hours of a protein bolus and some carbohydrates as well and some fats is probably a good idea. Regular eating consumption, right? So if we had to say what's the best approach to health, uh, we'd say probably avoid the extremes. Um, So, you know, is daily intermittent fasting okay? It's it's fine. But, you know, how much physical activity are you going to do on a Tuesday which you haven't eaten all day long? Don't kid us, right? You're going to sit there at the office and barely move. So – it's not really that great. It's not great for your mental health. It's not great for your physical health. But do you have to eat 12 meals a day? No. So just eat regular and, and run easy. The thing is, you know, keep most of your foods healthy. Keep your calories right. Eat when you're hungry or you feel low on energy. 
And as long as it fits the other criteria, you're good to go. What does that mean? Most people would benefit from a pretty good balanced breakfast. Some people, they wake up not super hungry. They can just have a protein shake to support muscle mass, but not eat for a long time. I'm one of those people. This morning, I had a protein shake. I'm not going to eat for another like two hours from now because I don't get hungry in the mornings. That protein shake's feeding my muscles and doing everything great, but I just don't feel like eating in the morning. And then at lunch, I'll have much more food. And at dinner, I'll have much more food and, you know, another meal here and there. But the deal is regular meals and probably eat something a little bit before bed to support musculature with protein and eat, you know, relatively soon after you wake up and then eat two or three times between then as you feel if you want a snack that's okay if you don't like to snack that's okay avoid like not eating every other day and you don't have to eat 12 meals a day and everything in between is really pretty good and that just about sums up the timing on the health side so one cool thing we can say for sure is just like we said you know avoid people that demonize an entire macronutrient I would avoid taking very strong astringent advice from people that are convinced that timing is a huge health effect. It does not have a huge health effect. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I guess just just on the point of intermittent fasting, I it's 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 really funny because I've been doing basically intermittent fasting for two years. I mean, not daily fasting, but like for I don't know, I I would eat at noon for the first time to realize that actually I am one of those individuals who is kind of hungry in the morning, like actually eating some food feels good, but I just let myself to be kind of brainwashed. And I guess it's easy to fall for this when you watch these, you know, amazing fitness uh, YouTube authorities who claim the amazing life-changing benefits of intermittent fasting and all these kind of things. But yeah, I completely agree with you. Don't Just don't fall for the extremes and listen to your body. So you're eating now in the mornings? Yeah, like like you, I'm not super hungry in the morning, but within I don't know two hours of waking up, it's just, it's just feel good to at least have something. Totally, totally. Yeah. And from yeah. a muscle mass perspective, I know that's not really the topic of this interview, but from body composition perspective, it's not good to go for hours and hours and hours without protein. That's been shown pretty clearly now. So what I tell people is, um, you know, people that are into that intermittent fasting lifestyle, it, it's not a bad way to be, especially for like some people like to eat really big meals when they diet and they can't have that if they just spread them all throughout the day. So what I tell those people is like, listen, you can have almost the identical thing. Like when you wake up, have like a casein protein shake because, you know, casein is really slow digesting. So when you wake up at eight in the morning, have a casein shake and then don't eat again until 4 p.m. or whatever, like you usually do. But at least you'll have a slow titration of protein that supports muscle growth and prevents muscle loss during that time. And it still helps nothing, right? You get most of your calories anyway for the other times of the day. It's just that, that, that the big issue with the timing on intermittent fasting, even from body composition perspective, is that you know, very low amino acid environment in the blood for hours and hours and hours, not conducive to muscle growth or the preservation of weight tissue. Yeah, yeah. But so a general verdict, nutrient timing from a health perspective is more so to support an environment in which you can hit an appropriate calorie intake and in a way that's enjoyable for you and that doesn't lead to overeating. Right. right? And supports physical activity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's... uh, get to the final levels and maybe we can knock these out uh, all at once because they're kind of related uh, hydration and supplements so they're the least they are the, uh, the the least important factors in this whole game uh, what's the general story there man you know so hydration is one of those things that again receives a lot of press every now and again and people you got to drink this much water your body does a really good job at maintaining proper water balance it'll make you thirsty if you're not having proper water balance 
uh, just a really easy rule of thumb. If you're peeing off yellow or off yellow or clear-ish, and you're peeing relatively frequently, once every two hours or so, um, or any more frequently than that, then you're good to go. Drinking much more water than that can result in you losing electrolytes faster or nutrients faster, which is actually bad for you. It could potentially be very bad for you if you really overdo it. Not drinking much water can result in some you know, health negatives, but your body really won't let you do that much because you'll get thirsty. Um, So just making sure you have regular intake. You don't need to be religious or carry a water bottle around, but when you get to be almost thirsty, you know that like, oh, I could have some water, but I'm not like dying of frost yet. Just drink plenty of water. One easy way that I do it is I just drink like, you know, like a liter of water with every meal and I'm good to go. Like, I don't understand people who eat, I don't understand people who eat without water anyway. Like my mouth gets dry. (laughs) So just eat with your meals and maybe have a couple of drinks, sips of water every now and again from a drinking fountain between meals and you're good to go. It's not a magic effect. Um, On supplements, you know, most supplements are for special situations. Like for example, if you're pregnant or nursing, you can have a couple of extra supplements that are good. If you're a vegan or vegetarian, you don't get some things that you need for meat to stay alive, uh, particularly some classes of B vitamins, and you need to supplement those. If you live in northern latitudes, then it's probably a good idea to supplement with D vitamins um, because you don't get enough sunlight. Um, if you're a vampire, you might need to supplement with blood. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Unless you're really a vampire. <laughs> maybe that's true. Um, a couple of other special classes outside of that, most almost all of your of your nutrition comes from a well-balanced diet of mostly whole foods so if you eat a, a diet that's already very healthy you know mostly lean meats healthy fats uh, whole grains fruits and veggies if you take like one multivitamin a day and maybe a, a d vitamin supplement because of uh, sunlight issues you're gonna go and uh, the big myth with vitamin supplements is that if you're already eating a healthy diet, there are like these vitamins that you can take or these supplements that are just hugely additive to your health, right? Like, yeah. oh, you know, if you take, you know, this like acai berry extract, you're just going to live forever. That's just almost total bull crap. Supplements are designed to supplement your diet to make sure you're getting complete diet. And if you're eating healthy already, they're barely useful at all. So it's more of an insurance policy with them that it is like you need to be you need to go out to the store and get this one kind of supplement because that's what's going to change your life that's almost certainly not true and yeah yeah just there's really quick the irony is that you know supplements are so cheap and so easy to buy it's such an easy fix that people love to hear that you know oh you know so the reason you're fat is not enough chromium in your diet or something like that is boy if that was just easy taking a pill and then all of a sudden you start losing weight and you have a ton more energy that would be awesome right but that's just um yeah it's just not how it works unfortunately there's no easy fix yeah, and, and even when talking about body composition for which at certain points it can be more relevant to think about supplements, even there it's it's the smallest component of the whole game. But one thing that you said that I reference commonly is when you talked about creatine on a podcast and you said that when people think that creatine is not going to do anything, uh, that's wrong. But when they think that it's going to change your life, that's also wrong. But that when they say that it's not going to do anything, it's much closer to the truth than that it's going to change your life. So for sure, absolutely, very very minor effect. People say rather ridiculous things every now and again, like, "Yeah, man, you know, I feel when I don't take my vitamins, I can feel it." Unless you're like vitamin deficient, that's false. <laughs> so yeah. you can't feel anything. If someone put multivitamin in your food, you have no idea it's there. Um, but it, you know, so it's so so you know. If someone's watching this and they think, oh, should I be taking supplements? Probably everyone benefits from a multivitamin every day. 
And uh, if you live in uh, northern latitudes, like in the United States, most of Western Europe, um, you might benefit from a, a D supplement. And uh, if you're vegan and vegetarian, you have a much more serious responsibility to get supplements because you're missing a big essential part of your diet. Uh, humans are designed to eat meat. Uh, and uh, there are some things that you can't get outside of animal products or supplements. And then they have to take things much more seriously. Uh, but unless you're a vegan or vegetarian, then you're you know, a multivitamin and maybe a, a D supplement and maybe an omega-3 supplement. And outside of that, if you eat a really good diet, then you're really rich, good to go. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just summing up this whole thing, when we look at you know, what kind of foods to eat, you know, lean meats, fruits and veggies and have a regular meal pattern, all these kind of things. It, it reminds me of something that Lyle McDonald said at one point that if he was to write a diet book now, it would be called the your grandmother was right diet. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that. More or less, man. And it's the basics that have hung out with us for a really long time. And we've tried to avoid them because they're boring and kind of they suck. But there's no way around it, man. You know, if you're really interested in eating a ton of junk food, you're really interested in getting super fat, if you're interested in a pill saving you from everything, then you're in for a rough surprise. But if you eat, you know, fundamentally, you know, lean meats, whole grains, fruits and veggies, and you're physically active, you're doing most of everything that's going to keep you pretty healthy. Fantastic. So thank you so much. My very, very last last question uh, on this and just curious on uh, what, what you will say is that, I mean, obviously this, this hierarchy is ordered with percentages. So calories account for 60%, micro, uh, food composition is 20%. If we were to put lifestyle, so sleep and stress management and then diet and then exercise next to each other um, as kind of the three of them giving out 100% of what's making a healthy body and a healthy life, what percentage would you assign to each factors? Mm. That's a potentially complex question because we're, we also need to consider the variance typically experienced in each one of those. But uh, I would say that um, chronic high stress and chronic sleep loss um, is number one. So mm -hmm. uh, it, it, because you will drop dead soon soon if you overreach on that consistently um after that um i would say that um in within most normal situations diet is more powerful for your health and physical activity but if you are incredibly physically active that can be overpowering uh, to diet so i would say that in the order in in most normal situations um Stress management, sleep is number one. A very close second is uh, diet. And a, a very close third is physical activity. So in practical terms, I wouldn't even bother with a hierarchy for them. I would say they are a trifecta that is inseparable. Every single thing needs to be considered. Here's why we make the hierarchy. I'll tell you why. The only reason we make the hierarchy uh, uh, is because we want people to say, look, you have a limited time. You have limited resources. We want to make sure you focus on the stuff that really matters. And if you have the time and resources, you can focus on the details too. That presupposes a delineation of important big things versus small details. We cannot say that stress management and sleep is the big thing, but, but physical activity is the detail. It's not a detail. You know, if I had to put rough percentages on it, and this is total, you know, super, super rough educated guess. But I would say that, you know, it would be something like, you know, 40% for stress management, 
maybe, you know, 33% for diet or something like that, <laughs> uh, and 27% for physical activity. And can you really say that 27% is a small fraction? <laughs> Massive. It's almost a third, right? So yeah, yeah. I would say these things are close enough to each other that uh, I would never seriously consider them. Uh, you know, what I will say is here's how they do come in handy. If you are, um, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example, a perfect example of how that hierarchy can be um, more conducive to promoting your health, uh, a good decision. So it's still, in, it's still, we can use that hierarchy to some extent. Here's, I'll tell you this example. If you chronically are underslept and, and overstressed and it's a problem and you're going out of your way Every morning, you're driving 30 minutes to go to this awesome kickboxing class. You wouldn't get as good of a workout without that class. You could go to a local gym after work, get way more sleep, but the physical activity impact would be lower. Um, mm -hmm. Is it worth it to you to get up that early and go to the yoga class if it's really killing your sleep and if it's really stressing you the hell out? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a good example of saying, look, if you don't handle your sleep and stress management, forget about exercise. Okay. Got to handle your sleep and stress management. So if your pursuit of physical activity is hurting your sleep and stress management, it's not worth it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, but, but, but outside of that pretty extreme example, usually they're not really at odds and, uh, all of them are important. So if, if someone tells you, you know, man, I get in the nine or 10 hours of sleep at night, I'm totally relaxed all the time. And you're like, you know, you should try physical activity. It's good for your health. They're like, oh, but like, I hate physical activity. Like, mm, okay, but it's not going to hurt your stress management that much to do three hours of hard workouts a week, you know? Yeah. So it is going to be better for your health because it's that important, right? It's not like a small detail. Like if anything, just barely disrupts your, you know, perception of self or, or you know, your relaxation completely disrupted, uh, you know, that is bad. That's not the case. So, you know, if you, if you, unless your life is a total mess and you can fit in physical activity, it's almost always going to be better for you. Absolutely. Thank you. That was a brilliant answer. And yeah, I will I will reference this this monologue of yours for a long time for a lot of people, I think. So Dr. Mike, thank you so much for being here. Uh, please tell people where they can find you what you're up to and any resources that you would like people to check out. Totally. Uh, RenaissancePeriodization.com. We're uh, working on some really cool things on the site that I can't talk about yet, I don't think, but we're coming really soon. Um, there's a blog. We're writing more and more on the blog, tons on hypertrophy, tons on health, all this other kind of stuff. And we are, you, know, you can find us at, at RP Strength on Instagram, Renaissance Periodization on Facebook, at uh, RP Dr. Mike on Instagram, mostly half-naked photos of me, um, mm -hmm. you know, bodybuilding-related training videos, pictures of food, and then Facebook, um, Mike Isertel at Facebook is where you can really find me. I engage people a ton. I will answer almost every question uh, that's made to on one of my posts, and I post pretty often on various uh, exercise training and intellectual topics. So come troll me. It'll be great, and uh, have a good time. Awesome. Great. Fantastic. Dr. Mike, uh, have a fantastic new year. Thank you so much for this podcast and please keep up the amazing work. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed this second part. And this concludes my interview with Dr. Mike Isratel. And just before you go, let's summarize the most important findings of this interview. Number one, your body weight and body fat percentage matters greatly for health. 
this is actually good news for us people who are interested in having abs and being shredded because from a health perspective, looking lean and vascular is actually pretty good for health. Now, the somewhat bad news is that if you have remarkable genetics like Dr. Israel has and are capable of getting to 250 pounds lean, that's always somewhat suboptimal for health. But hey, we are not only on this planet to be optimally healthy, we are also here to enjoy life. So does it worth it to maybe take five months of your life, but in exchange be big and jacked? Hell yeah. But what I wanted to get to is that if you have a relative or a friend who does cringeworthy things with her nutrition, such as drinking sugary sodas or snacking on pretzels, if the person is thin and is at a healthy body weight, then he or she is basically doing 60% as good as he or she could do. So it's pointless to try to aggressively convince him about what he should eat if he's not interested in changing because he is already doing better than 70% of the population. And this brings me to the next point, which is if someone is at a healthy weight and is eating reasonably healthy, do not try like I used to do when I was an overzealous, arrogant little bastard to get that person to eat super high protein or higher fat or lower fat or whatever just because you think that this is healthier. Because unless that person is interested in gaining muscle or really take things to the next level, it's completely redundant for him or her from a health perspective to change the macronutrient profile of their diets. I have friends who are lean, eat plenty of whole foods and have great energy levels and I tried previously to obsessively convince them to eat higher protein or less carbs or whatever and it was just stupid. So bottom line, a wide variety of macronutrient profiles can contribute to good health as long as you consume the minimal amount of protein and fat to be healthy. And point number three, with meal timing, the most important factor here from a health perspective is to time your nutrients in a way that satiate you the most and that enable you to avoid overeating. So for example, me, I'm usually hungry for a little something in the morning, but I don't have a strong compulsion to eat large amounts of food like I do in the evening hours. So I think like a smart accountant and consume a small amount in the morning and a much more substantial amount in the evening. And for the most part, this allows me to remain satisfied, sane and healthy, and also to keep my hard-earned abs, which are, by the way, a lot harder to attain for the first time than to maintain. So that was it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know what you thought of it. Shoot at me any criticisms, things that you liked or didn't like, suggestions for me on being a better interviewer, compliments on my voice, if you'd like me to sing during the interviews, anything. Oh, and please leave a rating on iTunes and subscribe on YouTube to support this show. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here up until now. And see you next time.